This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BREW and get 10% off your total order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and uh, this episode's guest is technically me, <laughs> but um, this is actually a collaboration episode with Matt from Cryptopsy slash the host of the Vox and Hops podcast. Uh, they are really, essentially, we are the same show. Um, I would say Matt is definitely a more knowledgeable person when it comes to beer, uh, as you'll hear me say. I think he knows more of, like, I'm into mosaic hops, I'm into these kind of things. He's able to pick apart a lot more of his beers uh, from a more clinical uh, standpoint, uh, whereas I'm more of a, yeah, this tastes good, this is what, I, what I'm able to pick out of it for uh, this kind of beer, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So... Both have a love of, of craft beer, craft cocktails, craft things, as well as metal and doing a podcast kind of based around that. So it seemed inevitable that we would get together eventually. Um, Matt definitely steers a lot of this and just kind of lets me go. And uh, I get a couple of questions in as well for, for Matt. But, uh, you know, the thing that I love about this idea that he does when he has other podcasters on where we basically both drop the episode at the same time is sort of like I was saying in the beginning where, you know, a lot of people talk about this this theoretical uh, competition that we're all in with each other for downloads and, and whatever. And I love Matt's idea of like, well, let's both put it out on our platforms and maybe the people who don't know about your show will learn about yours because they listen to mine or because they listen to you will now know about mine. And I really love that. I just love that inclusivity, uh, you know, in the, the collaborative process and just kind of doing something because you believe in what each other are doing. And speaking of believing in what each other are doing, uh, I believe that Matt is probably the most adventurous motherfucker I know because he just, uh, it's been out for a little bit now, but, uh, he did a 
brutal North American collaboration series between 24 breweries and 24 bands, uh, tentatively from the area that the breweries are in. Um, thankfully I was next to one of the breweries. It was about five minutes from my house called speciation artisan ales. Uh, and they did a whiskey barrel aged spontaneous amber sour with a lemon zest. Uh, and it basically was paired with battle cross, uh, who are from the Detroit area. So Haran and Donnie came down and drank some beers. And the other cool thing about, uh, speciation is, uh, once a week they host a metal vinyl night, which is pretty fucking cool. So at different points of the night while drinking this beer, uh, there was, I think, uh, some Acacia strain. I think I saw, um, God, what else did I say? I think I saw some gate creeper, uh, some other bands and so forth. And it's just playing and people are drinking, having a good time talking. And it was one of those in a, in a very small microcosm of, of what I think is why all of us love metal and hardcore and all that is just the, the sense of community and, and to see so many different facets of a community basically coming together uh, was really cool. And uh, I got to say hats off to Matt for, for pulling this off. Uh, I, that is actually my beer of this episode. Uh, I have it currently in the can. Now, the thing about this beer that was interesting to me is when I read what it was, I really wondered, is the barrel age going to be the dominant flavor or is it going to be more of the sour? Because if you do any drinking and you have tried any of those, you know that those are two very overwhelmingly strong presences in beer. And so having not seen a barrel aged sour before personally, I was really intrigued to see what this is going to be like. And the thing is, is I don't really personally get a whole lot of the barrel aged flavor. I think in what I do, it's kind of taking the, the, sourness a little bit of that bitterness away and it's just kind of trying to like really smooth everything out so you're just kind of left with a really nice like sour lemony citrus uh beer and uh it's it's really for i mean it's surprisingly pretty light i mean you most barrel aged things kind of come in at a little bit higher apv and this is only a seven and a half so it's it's super drinkable uh if you go on to untapped if you're on there or just google this beer it's called rise to sour uh you'll see that it kind of is a nice uh, reddish, you know, pour. It looks, and some glasses, it definitely does look a little thicker, like it would be more of like an IPA. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty drinkable beer. I'm really excited to, uh, have supported this project in a multitude of different ways. Uh, I have one more can that I think we're going to send out to somebody in a beer trade. And, uh, yeah, just major props to Matt for having me on the show, uh, for doing this crazy beer collaboration that I'm still in awe of how he got it off the ground and all with very smoothly by all accounts. And uh, without further ado, let's get into Matt's conversation with me. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you on the other side of it if you're not bored with my voice by that point. What's up, everyone? Today I'm with John Beatty from the Brutally Speaking Podcast. Uh, this is an epic crossover episode. Uh, I am Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy, host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Uh, John, introduce yourself, even though I just did that, and uh, let's get this episode rolling. Uh, I'm John. I'm the host of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, and uh, it's pretty much identical to this show. <laughs> But this, is a, this, this is the mirror match uh, that everyone's been clamoring for before you get to Goro, I believe, is uh, who you fight after the mirror match. 
<laughs> it's crazy that that you are approaching 300 episodes. I'm about 30 out, and it's taken us this long to get together. And it took another podcaster to introduce us, which I thought was amazing. So shout out to Dewey from the Pure Pleasure Podcast for hooking us up together. Absolutely, Dewey is a, a great friend to have. He. Uh, the thing that I love and something I've talked about on my podcast, on other podcasts when I've done them, is that I think there's this weird belief that we're all in competition with each other. And the thing is, is it's like, like if you do well or Dewey does well or, you know, and collectively we all help each other, all that's going to do is just kind of, you know, as Josta likes to say, the Jostaism of a uh, high tide raises all ships. I totally think that that's a very accurate statement. And to me, I don't understand why people get shitty about competition. Like to me, there were some podcasters that are now friends that I aspire to, to want to be. And I use them as my barometer. You talked actually in your episode with Dewey that, you know, Jabberjaw initially was your benchmark of where you wanted to get the show to be very much the same. Jabberjaw was one of those to me where I was like, fuck, like this is kind of the creme de la creme of pod music based podcast. And I want to be a part of it. And so you know, if I'm looking up to these people and using them as uh, friendly competition, you know, that's kind of how I take it. Um, me personally, um, I don't think that there's any need to. I mean, as Dewey joked, I think on my show when I talked to him about that, he's like, it's not like we're making millions and millions of dollars. So why the fuck are we fighting? <laughs> so, you know, growing up in the, the music scene, I got over that very quickly. You know, you're friends with bands. We're all unsigned here in Montreal. We all grew up playing the same gigs. And then there was always that one band that got the gig opening for the big band coming through town. And then we would get that little pang of jealousy. <laughs> but, you know, with maturity and over the years, you, it's just, you know, you're, it's pride because it is that. And, and I was totally going to quote Josta. <laughs> before you beat me to it but it's true you know, i don't think you can do this podcast podcasts. at this point and not quote Josta at least in some capacity <laughs> you want to get a boner in a jiffy chew it and do it <laughs> the more people that listen to podcasts makes us happy so so let's just all spread the love spread the podcast love and uh, let's work together to make uh, metal and craft beer more well known and uh, more recognized and more appreciated as a culture Absolutely. I mean, it's funny and, and something I was going to kind of bring up to you in your journey through doing the podcast is how have you found the the crappier world and kind of the metal world to be? Because when I started it, a lot of people were like, yeah, like metal people like drinking, but it's not they don't the perception is we don't have as a refined a palate as maybe some would assume. Um and, you know, really since kind of the rebrand of the show, that's kind of been something I've wanted to kind of uh, really kind of bring to the forefront, not just with craft beer, but even craft cocktails. I actually just bought some loose leaf tea the other day that I'm really excited to get into and uh, kind of start bringing that into the show as well. But I mean, fuck, we have craft water now. <laughs> like, I know. Like, it's weird. Like, I'm like, <laughs> man, there's like so like craft is like it's not just macaroni and cheese anymore. Um, it has expanded <laughs> so, so far beyond that, that I'm just uh, excited. And I think, you know, with some of these festivals, even like louder than life, kind of marrying rock metal, mainstream rock, uh, even bringing in some kind of underground hip hop, you know, like having action Bronson jelly roll and stuff like that on, but then having, I think they had what 50 different whiskey brands there. Um, nice. 
And so it's one of those you're you're kind of starting to see even on a bigger scale, um, people kind of really starting to kind of introduce these these different uh, platforms uh, and mediums together that I think between you and I and probably our listenership has long known goes together very well. Mm -hmm. It's the finer things, the love of the finer things. And, and the more that people appreciate these finer, high quality things, the more money they'll be able to invest and be able to sponsor future events. So it won't just be a huge beer company coming in and sponsoring a music festival. It might just be like a conglomeration of craft ones that can actually pool together their advertisings to get a sick beer garden instead of just having those shitty tents with two options and the, the macro craft that they're trying to peddle onto us, which uh, sometimes is good, but most of the time is not. On that note, I'm very thirsty because it's hot as hell here in Montreal. <laughs> not much different in Michigan, so. <laughs> Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their life, music, and craft beer. Uh, brutally speaking is all about talking about <laughs> life, metal, and craft beer. What beer are you enjoying on your side tonight that we will be sharing virtually? All right. So I have a, it is a company here local to Grand Rapids called City Built Brewing. Uh, you're going to hear probably a story about this, this particular brewery in a little bit. Uh, this is called the Rolly on my wrist. Uh, the cool thing about this brewery is they do a lot of um, kind of rap themed kind of beers. So the Rolly on my wrist is a pastry stout. It's 150 pounds of Sweet K's famous uh, fresh baked and frosted cinnamon rolls, Ugandan vanilla, brown sugar, and it's a collaboration with Ascension Brewing, and it comes in at a nice 10%. So it doesn't drink like a 10%. It drinks more kind of like a like a darker, um, just more like a dark beer. It, it's actually very light for as thick as it is, and as you can kind of see in the pour, it is very, very dark looking and very thick, but it is very sweet. Uh, the joke uh, you made earlier was that it sounds like diabetes in a glass. Um it is one of my favorite random beers that I found uh, recently. Um, City Built does a really phenomenal job, which is no small order uh, considering we have founders, you know, just across the town. Um, and they're obviously one of the bigger uh, craft breweries here in not only the state, but I would say almost globally now. I think they've been getting out internationally as well. On my side, I'm drinking something very interesting. It's this brand new uh Collab brew, it is a blend. So it's, it's very interesting. A la fu are uh, Quebec's barrel kings. They're one of the first ones that started uh, aging brews in barrels, uh, mostly wild fermentation. Really interesting. So what they did this year and last year, they, they do like series where each month they, they release a collab with a different brewery. Uh, last year was with their Rouge de Mekinac, which is a red Flanders ale. Uh, this year they went for something a little bit more wild, a little bit more creative. Uh, they took their QV Western, which is basically the closest thing that we, that we can get to a Lambic here in Quebec. Uh, it's won a bunch of uh, sour and wild beer goods. Um, beer awards and it's it's tart and delicious and they have blended it with super hype uh, New England IPA breweries. So so this specific one is with uh, Brewski, which I love to death. They do mad haze and they do killer uh, fruited sours such as Brutal Juice, which uh, came out earlier with a, a Vox and Hops collab right there. So this is their Propaganda and blend of QV Western. This is 7.4% ABV. Um, very excited to try this and I'm super stoked that I got my hands on one because it's very hype and very cool. I'm gonna crack this, pour this open and I want you to tell me all about your very first beer, John. Have you ever? Um, it's, 
my first beer, I think, is like everybody actually, um, was Bud Light because uh, it didn't taste like anything. You know, the joke always is, is uh, what's the closest you can get to fucking in water? It's like drinking Bud Light or something to that effect. I forget the, the full joke. Something but... about a canoe or something, no? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I would just drink it because it was cheap. Uh, it didn't taste bad. Uh, didn't really have any flavor. And I was always a Jack Daniels person, like straight away. Um, didn't know that I would like Jack Daniels. It was just one of those, like everyone I knew, like all the metal people I loved, uh, love Jack Daniels. Motley Crue was Jack Daniels drinker. So I was like, I guess I'm a whiskey drinker and just always have stuck by Jack Daniels initially. Um, but that was the first beer was Bud Light. I would say the first, what I'll call a real beer that I really started to enjoy uh, was actually Founders. Um, and it was their um, breakfast out. And I found that I am, I, at the time I was really predisposed to just liking stouts and porters. That was all I wanted. Um, get out of here with IPAs, anything light, didn't care. Um, over the last, I'd say 10 years, I've really kind of refined my palate and thanks to Mark from nothing more. Uh, he's a big fruited, uh, sour Goza fan and he has gotten me to, get into some of those from like Martin brewing house, uh, down there in San Antonio. And I actually now will start looking at sours and just kind of going, okay, like, I think that's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. Um, he gave me a pickle sour beer that was fucking disgusting, um, recently. And <laughs> then he gave me a, a spicy one when we were out in San Antonio a couple of months ago that gave me like instant heartburn. And I was like, I, I ate, it tastes gross. And it gave me heartburn. It's a double no for me, but I think, uh, I think that's the fun thing, um, that I've kind of learned now and just having a palate that enjoys everything, even kind of expanding into liquor as well is, uh, just seeing what different places can do and really, traveling a lot more between my wife and I over the last decade and, and kind of getting to experience and taste local flavor, literally. Um, and just kind of seeing what places do. Um, I, I haven't gone to Canada. I think something you had said in a previous episode was that you guys have a limit as to how high up your, your APB, APB can go. It, yeah. Here in, in Quebec, it's 12%. So, so if, oh, I mean, you see a stout, if you see a stout with 11.9 on it, you know that it's higher than 12%. <laughs> that's, it's that's the legality the, of it. The running gag in the breweries. Uh, cheers to you before I taste this. I'm excited to hear how that tastes. It smells wild and amazing, but fruity at the same time is super fucked up. Is it kind of thick? Does it got like legs on it? It's got a nice body to it, but still, I don't really think. See, it's juicy, but still got that sour tang of the, uh, the, uh, Western, sorry, my brain's not working. Like you get Western. Um, very interesting. Uh, crazy crushable, even though it's got that 7.4% ABV. Um, killer, killer. Wild and weird, but juicy at the same time. Uh, and it's cool, you know, because LFU are just teaming up with the most hype breweries when them themselves are not necessarily any longer a hype brewery. So it's a cool way to keep themselves involved in the craft beer scene here in Quebec, which I think is awesome. So is it almost akin to, or, or I should say, are, is their model sort of akin to like what Untitled Art is doing or has been doing? Oh, see, I'm, I'm unaware of that brewery. Okay, so actually, hold on a second. Let me go grab a can. Love it. He's got up. He's walking over. He's got a fridge in the room. He is an expert beer podcast drinker. I have beer hidden next to my bed because I live in a four and a half. 
I have a uh, craft beer problem where I buy a lot of it and then I don't drink it very quickly. So I had to buy a whole nother fridge just for my beers. I just narrated you. I narrated you getting up to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> so Untitled Art, as far as I understand it, is basically, um, so this is one, oh, where's my camera? There it is. And let it get in focus. So oh, yeah. Untitled Art basically seemingly does all kinds of different beers. But as far as I understand, they work with someone to basically distribute it, I believe. Um, so it's almost like, it's canned by Untitled Art, but it's made by somebody else, I think. I think that's how it was explained to me. Uh, because there's no fucking way that they can make as much beer as they do and get it out if they were straight up just a singular like brewery somewhere like in Wisconsin or whatever. Like, the amount of different beers that they put out at any given time is just too vast and too different that I, I there's just no way. So I, no, I think no, that's this- why that works. For this specific one, LF, you know, they do everything in-house. Uh, this is the second uh, version, second round, second taking of this collab project. The second month, that makes more sense. It's the second month of this collab project. And the first one, they actually got barrels and they brought them in from Noctum and did the blend there. This time around, Brewski is such a hype brewery that they live week to week. They have a system where they brew and then three weeks later that beer is sold and then like on a Thursday and then Saturday it's gone. And then they, they live week to week, just just constantly creating. Must be so stressful, but they I do I was going to say, that sounds stressful. And they're killing it, <laughs> just so damn good. So they couldn't really bring beer to them. So they went over there and they brewed it there was the plan. I don't know if it panned out because of the pandemic and the, the rules that we have up here are very strict. So I don't believe that had to happen, but they were there for the blending from what I've understood. So super cool, still very, I think it's very creative, very, very creative way to, uh, to, to tap into the hype of the Quebec market while remaining true to yourself, you know, a, a wild <laughs> Lambic style brew, making it hype. It, it doesn't really happen that often here. What, uh, what is typically your uh, go-to for, like when you're going to a store and you're going to buy beer or whatever, what is, what, how do, what is your process of selecting a beer? Well, when I go buy a beer, I go to La Canette, which is my favorite local craft beer store. I'll give them a little plug. I love them to death. I have my four-pack of death there every week where I select four beers, and if you buy them, you get 5% off. I love them to death. Uh, their owner, Kevin, is a great human. It's cl- so close to my house. It's just really a happenstance that my the one that's so close to my house ended up becoming my favorite place, but it's because it's ran by a dude that uh, he, he curates it the way that I would curate my playlists and stuff. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's not an overstocking. It's a small place. Everything goes into a fridge. Everything is cold. Everything is taken care of. And he doesn't just buy everything. He only buys the stuff that he loves. So when I walk into a craft beer store, such as that Canet, uh, I go immediately for Krispies. I, I want like a nice, nice lager. Uh, and then my attention is immediately drawn to the haze. I want to see what fresh haze he has, uh, which I normally know because he's told me because <laughs> <So I, laughs> we talk a lot and I, I pick up whatever's cool from that week or I've told him to put aside for me. And then I, I'll wrap up typically with a with a sow with a, with a big heavy stout, normally like a bourbon barrel aged coffee stout. That's really a my nightcap nail in the coffin brew. But if it's like a nice long day and I'm going to go for a few hours, I'll definitely sneak in some sours there as well. 
I'm all over the board. <laughs> well, no, and and I think that's the funny thing is like is in listening to your show, you know, you're what I would call like kind of the the beer drinkers, beer drinker. Like you are aware, you're probably a, of the capacity to where if you read the ingredients and you're like, ah, uh, Chinook Chinook I'm not really like haven't really enjoyed anything that's got that. I'm more of a Simcoe kind of guy or whatever. Like to me, and this this gets me in trouble because I won't look at anything other than what the like flavor profile is supposed to be Mm. so if i see a beer and i'm reading it and i'm like okay like it's got you know coconut like a pineapple flavor i'm not really even looking at anything else i'm like coconut pineapple huh all right that that could be really cool and then and so yeah and so like there are things like that where i just read what the thing is I don't pay attention to the APV. I don't pay attention to if it's a stout porter or whatever. I'm just kind of reading like what sounds delicious. And then same with like, you know, with this, I just see double chocolate fudge brownie stout. And it's like, okay, I know it's a stout, but it's like double chocolate. All right. That any double chocolate, anything I've had in a beer usually is really good. The brownie aspect you may not get, but that's kind of lending more off of, you know, the chocolate flavor. Um, but it's, it's again, kind of like the can, if a can looks cool, I'll go grab it. Um, and I'm more of just kind of a like, all right, does this sound good? And that's definitely fucked me. Like when I went to uh, like one of the last days of, when I was in San Antonio, we went to this uh, cool uh, like tap place and you go buy cans too. And uh, I did that. I just looked at everything and I was like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. And the lady was like, I was like, can I make a flight? And she goes, we don't really do flights, but I can give you eight ounce pours of everything. And in my head, I, that didn't sound like a lot. Until I literally got like (laughs) five of these filled basically. And I was like, shit. And they, and coincidentally, everything I grabbed was a stout or a porter and was, I think the lowest one I had was like a 13%. And I was like, fuck. And (laughs) I was just like, I, I should start paying attention to the other things that probably would allow me to, uh, to not make those mistakes where now my day is kind of shot. Cause I'm, I'm half in the bag or more by the time I'm done drinking these beers and I'm full. So now I've ruined dinner for my wife and I. It's all about focused and, and, and powering through and just <laughs> getting to the next place. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I'm very in tune with what's coming out here locally. Uh, it's different if I'm traveling obviously, but then I'll, I'll go for the local expert and see what's hype, what's cool. Uh, what it makes people excited here. That's definitely what's going on. So, so I'm very, I know what beers are coming out here in Quebec. I know what beers I want to taste and I know what beers I have to taste. So, so I hunt them down and I get them, but I'm, I'm, and I know which breweries and I have breweries that I really enjoy. I know which brewers are making these beers. I know who I trust and I know who I want to invest in for sure. What's one of the most adventurous beers you've, you've come across? Oh, the, the most recent one, one of my most recent collabs, the Brutal Juice that I mentioned earlier with Brewski, it, it shouldn't have worked. It's a beer that <laughs> shouldn't have worked, but Derek, their head brewer, is just such a mastermind. Um, the, the beer came to life because I drink, they make brew juices. It's their fruited sours. I drink them as a hangover cure, typically. You know, and, they, and they're fruity. They got the fruit puree. You got the little hair of the dog aspect. But I also really like coffee. So in the morning, I'll definitely have a coffee with my brew juice, hence the creation of Brutal Juice. So, so of course, I had to say Brutal Juice because everything is brutal with me, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, and, I get and, called out on that quite a bit, actually, that I'm, I'm not <laughs> as brutal as apparently I claim to be. 
it was an easy one. It was, I, I, I'm not certain, but it might actually have been Kevin's idea from Nikanet. I think it was from a, a lot of my collab ideas. I bounce off his head because he really knows what's going on in the scene. So, so I pitched this idea to the Brewski's team and they were like, oh, let's do it like a breakfast. Let's do like oatmeal and we'll put maple syrup and we'll make it as dark as we can. And, and then they took it from there. So, you know, like a fruited sour with, with, with deep, dark red, black berries with coffee, with maple syrup. It shouldn't work, but it totally did. And it was killer. Just, just so damn good. I, I sincerely hope they bring it back. <laughs> there was a, I can't remember where the, the brewer ended up, but there was a small like local brewery here and they used to do a double bubble IPA and they would really? put like, I, I might have the number wrong, but I swear they said like they put 50 pounds of double bubble, like just unwrap it, throw it in. And that's the beer. Um, they put it in the mash or in the, the actual, uh, it must uh, put it in the mash. I don't know. I can, I can't imagine where that would go. I'm trying to remember because obviously I feel like the sugars uh, would drastically impact uh, ABV. Yeah. So I feel like they would have put it in first to kind of help mm-hmm. control that. But I'm trying now thinking back to like the few times I've actually brewed beer. I'm trying to think of like, at what point do you try to get as much of the sugar to interact with the yeast? And I feel like it's in the very beginning. So I feel like that would be something they would do right away in that process is brew it with uh with everything right away but yeah that was that was one of the more adventurous beers i've ever had um i found a two beers going to a random like beer festival outdoor thing a couple of summers ago one was a snickerdoodle beer that tasted exactly like a snickerdoodle cookie um i i I was like there's no fucking way this is gonna taste like a snickerdoodle um and sure as shit you drink it and you're just like it's light. It's got the good cinnamon flavor, but it has like that sweet cookie taste to it. And be damned if it didn't taste like a snickerdoodle. But the other one that like made me go to the brewery like an hour away the very next day was uh, this oatmeal cream pie ale out of uh, Pigeon Hill, which is in Muskegon. And they put, I think they said a hundred pounds of marshmallow fluff into it to give it the, if you can tell, I like sweet beers. <laughs> I just realized, I, I just realized like, man, everyone listening to this down the road is probably gonna be like, Jesus Christ, you probably have like high blood pressure and all this other shit from all these sweet beers since, you drink. Since you should do an insulin fund <laughs> on your, your, your Patreon, your, your, your Patreon could be, <laughs> help pay for my insulin. <laughs> Um, I also yeah. enjoy mixing beer and liquor um, oh, yeah. and, and ciders and so forth. Uh, I think a classic one is just taking like a good dry cider and putting uh, like a shot of Goldschlager or something in there. So you get a nice like apple cinnamon flavor. Um, typically I'll do like a, a nice vanilla vodka in like a good uh, chocolate or coffee stout. So you kind of get like that coffee and cream kind of flavor going on. Oh yeah. Alcoholic that through and through. I'm, that's something that, I, that I'm messing around with. I love creating collabs and I, I, I think I've seen it happen elsewhere. You might've seen it as well. I, I love to do like a collab where it's two beers and the beers stand up on their own, but you, if you mix them together, they become something else. So I've done that with cherry wheat and Guinness. Um, it basically is kind of a different take on like a, what is that? A, dark and stormy that's a liquor um a black and tan kind of Mm -hmm. but in a different capacity but really it was just a very cheap way for me to try to make uh a beer that they have out here at founders called the uh, big luscious and it's like a chocolate cherry kind of thing so it was just a like hobo way of me making that beer 
but yeah, mixing beers is great. I, I'm kind of a garbage person. I'll, I'll mix whatever and try it at least once just to see if it tastes good. And it sometimes like you, you look really cool after the fact to be like, Oh yeah, you want to try this? And people are like, Oh my God, that tastes delicious. And you're like, I know I came up with that. I want to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents and guardians house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio, what music did your parents or guardians listen to? So being a product of the eighties, uh, MTV was just constantly on in our house, like just straight up, leave it on that channel. Um, so that's everything from, you know, the early beginnings of like the tail end of like NWA into Dr. Dre's the chronic record, uh, Snoop Dogg, um, Tupac Biggie, obviously then, you know, with like 120 minutes, uh, getting to hear stuff like the toadies and, uh, even like the Melvins and Nirvana as they were kind of breaking, uh, obviously lots of hair metal, um, when it comes to like actual CDs and listening to stuff beyond what was on MTV, um, my mom is really big into like Rod Stewart, uh, and this, uh, artist named Lobo, which all I remember is the song you and me and a dog named boo. And I fucking hated that song. Um, but a lot of like classic stuff like that. Uh, my dad would listen to a lot of like great white, uh, journey poison, um, even some like slaughter skid row, all that kind of stuff. And then somewhere kind of along the way with thanks to headbangers ball, you know, getting introduced to bands like Megadeth, uh, Testament, um, obviously Metallica and weird bands like Primus. I remember my dad getting uh, sailing the seas of cheese record or whatever. Um, very eclectic uh, listening experiences uh, from my parents. And then even getting to the point where like when I started getting into kind of quote unquote, my own music, of uh you know like the corns and stains and stuff like that and some of the heavier bands that started to come out at the time um even though like like i remember when dookie came out i wasn't allowed to have that because it swore and my dad didn't think i could under comprehend or should be listening to some of the lyrical concepts on that record but uh yeah marilyn manson was a big one i remember having to uh make a friend burn me a tape an actual cassette tape and i would listen to it when i was quote unquote going to bed really like under your pillow? I had like those shitty headphones that were like all, mostly uh, the, like the super uncomfortable like KOSS, uh, K-O-S-S uh, headphones yeah. that were like $10 for the pair. And they were like too trebly, had no bass, just really thin sounding. And on my Sony Walkman, um, remember listening to uh, Antichrist Superstar when it had first come out and just being like scared to death, but like in a really fun way where it's like i shouldn't be listening to this but it's exciting and it's it's new i've never really heard anything like this and i don't know it, it's kind of funny because I, I i talk about sometimes like growing up in this interesting era of music where you know we we saw like the 80s coming through with the 80s shred like metal players and so forth and to me it became comical toward the end but when you really think about that era of music it was such a virtuosic environment like everybody like look at some like mr big everyone knows the one fucking song now that record lean into it that had the song on it you know uh to be with you like that band eric martin is a fucking phenomenal singer billy sheenan is like one of the best bass players still to this day uh like every paul gilbert like everybody in that fucking band still to this day can play circles around most anybody now and that was the thing back then is like everybody was fucking good. And they were gorgeous. <laughs> Stupidly gorgeous. 
on top of it, which which is, you know, that was the difference between the 70s. Absolutely. They had to look good. They had to look good. <laughs> but it was a thing where it's like, you know, I feel very blessed to have come in, you know, toward the middle to late end of the 80s where you're seeing, you know, hair, excuse me, hair metal. You're starting to see like pop music. Pop music was interesting because it encompassed so much. It was like pop music could be anything from Motley Crue to, you know, Billy Ocean. And it all was popular. Um, then it kind of coming into the early 90s of grunge and, you know, the uh, pop music of like, you know, the Teddy Riley's coming out of, you know, Rex and Effects uh, doing stuff like that. You had kind of the beginnings of the hip hop scene, the underground hip hop scene, you know, with, uh, you know, Jay Dilla and Slum Village and some of those guys coming out of Detroit and just so many great musicians of all eras to then kind of getting into the mid nineties where you have more of like pop pop and like ska is kind of coming to the mainstream, which I, I, that doesn't need to happen any ever again, but um, no it's just, of ska. my wife no. would be happy. It's just <laughs> interesting to kind of see what we've lived through in a, you know, 35 years of music and just seeing how much it's changed and where it's gone. I don't think there's ever been this much growth uh, in music in such a, such a time frame as where we're at now currently and where we've been when we started listening to music personally. Absolutely. And I don't know if it's just, there's more and more people to listen to it and more and more ways to distribute it so that it's, there's less constricting. So more and more artists got inspired. Maybe, I don't know, because of the internet, because there's, there's more radio stations. There, there was TV as opposed to the 60s, 70s. There was that one radio station. Well, I've even heard on, WTF, WTF with uh, Mark Maron. I forget who he was talking to, but they were talking about how even back in the 70s, I want to say, that there were localized stations to your region. So just because you were it, like if you're in Quebec, I guess actually to make it a little bit easier in the States, if like I lived in Tennessee, I would hear something completely different upon going to Memphis, going to wherever, and then traveling wherever I'm going. Like I would hear completely different things on their local AM radio, perhaps at that point, but FM radio as well. And the idea that really kind of like, I was really kind of like impressed by that. Cause I was like, wow, that'd be really, I really wish that there was something like that now um, to where you could kind of really get a, a sense of, a, a, an area in the demographic, I guess, of just kind of being like, oh, okay, like you're going to Detroit, you're going to hear everything from punk to rap to Motown to whatever. And it would be kind of cool to be like, oh, what the fuck am I going to hear while I'm wherever I am? Like the idea that I think is just really interesting. And I, and I wish it still existed in some capacity. It must have been fun for A&Rs going from different areas. <laughs> saying, yeah, this rules. You know, I've never heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but I feel like that was the Wild West back then where people would just sometimes play whatever the fuck they wanted to play. Like, you know, I, I forget who it was, you know, like some bands would just literally like the B-side became a hit because someone was just like, yep, playing that. And then people like caught on to it. And it was like, that wasn't even supposed to be played. That was kind of the bonus to when you bought the seven inch as like this extra track, this kind of throwaway song. But I don't know. It's it's interesting to see how music has evolved uh, over the years between, and I feel like we're kind of getting back to it actually, like where singles were king and it was all about having a hot single and it getting played to death. And, and literally when you could tour around one single, um, you know, back in the days of the fifties and sixties with like Elvis and, you know, all of those kind of artists, I feel like we're going back to that, you know, now that people are 
with Spotify and all that. With Spotify and the fact that no one really seemingly wants to invest in a full record anymore as a listener. I mean, I don't feel this way, but it seems the trend is give me more, give me less, more, I'm sorry, give me more in lesser quantities more often so I will keep, to keep my attention. And then subsequently, then you're just constantly in my peripherals and I'll, I'll never lose sight of you versus like, all right, you put out a record two years ago. And if I didn't love it and don't play it constantly, I may not even know, like, I may not even know that you're coming around. Yeah. Like I've already forgotten about you. Yeah. It's really weird to see how, how music has changed, but it's kind of going back to where it started. I think. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk about podcasting. I'm very interested whenever I sit down with a fellow podcaster to hear their (laughs) podcast story. Uh, I know why I became a podcaster. It's because I goddamn love it. Uh, Why did you end up having conversations with people, recording it, and then releasing it for everyone to listen to? This sounds so shitty of me to say it like this, but um, I got tired of seeing interviews with bands that I really loved and seeing people squander their opportunities by asking bullshit. Um, Every Time I Die is one of my favorite bands. And I don't know how many interviews I've seen with people on Warp Tour uh, over the years of someone being like, oh, so tell me about your new record. And they're like, (laughs) it's out. It was cool. (laughs) Oh, any crazy stories? And you're like, come on, like ask something better than that. Like, And that was like the thing that just kind of like really bothered me was like, I would see all these people getting what I perceive to be really great opportunities to talk to people that I have always found interesting. And they're just not either doing their due diligence. Like, you know, you've talked about doing the heavy Montreal uh, interviews and so forth. So you're very much aware of doing the festival junket where you're, you're like, Hey, you want to talk to so-and-so? Sure. All right. You got 10 minutes, go. And then you're like, all right, I yeah. A, didn't know I was going to talk to this dude. Now I have 10 minutes to try to make something be worth a shit. At least I have the beer. I have the beer that helps me. Yeah, and, it, and it's one of those where it's uh, it's hard sometimes to, to make something like that good. But you can tell sometimes when you see some of these interviews that are on like YouTube and so forth of someone who you feel like did it for the free ticket to the festival. Um, I know in the few festivals that I've gotten to cover – uh, I myself, I think during the full weekend at Sonic Temple, I think I got to watch six or seven bands for the whole week, weekend, I should say, because um, I was just, I wanted to be in the tent. I wanted to be there for any opportunity I could get. And I got some really good ones. And it was funny because other press people were like, why the fuck did you get to talk to so-and-so? I was told they're not doing press. And I'm like, I couldn't tell I you, man. There. Like I was I there. Was there. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those where I feel like, because that's sort of how I came into wanting to do this of feeling like I could do better than what I was seeing. I feel like any opportunity I get, I have to crush and I have to be willing to be available and present for these opportunities because, and I've even joked, if someone watches my interview and they're like, this fucking sucks, I could do better. I hope you, I hope you have the same thing I do. Go start your own show. I have some amazing friends that I've made because of, Having that initial thought of, I could do better. Now let me figure this, let me figure out how to do it. Um, More the merrier. Please challenge us. Yeah. And, you know, I podcasting better. And I think that's, I think that's the thing too, that it it makes this fun. Like I said, it's not a competition, but nothing inspires me more than when like, 
maybe I'll have had someone on. And I know like you and I recently have had a lot of the same people on, I think probably because Dewey introducing us to these people. And it's one of those where like, sometimes like I'll ask something and I feel like I got like, maybe I didn't ask it a certain way or it wasn't very clear what I was trying to go for. But then like, there's been times like you'll ask something or like Dewey will ask something. And I'm like, fuck, that was a way better question. (laughs) And then like the response was way better or the engagement as a result of is way better. And I totally listen to podcasts to be entertained, but I also listen to them and study them kind of like, like film for like sports where it's like, I like how this person, you know, asked this question, like something I've been trying to do a lot more of. And I actually learned it by interviewing more foreigners, like people not from here in the States uh, and and that English isn't their first language. Something I've noticed from listening to a lot of the interviews and, and interviewing people from abroad is that they have this tendency. And I wish us Americans could learn from it so well is to, if you don't know something or you don't know how you want to say something, just fucking stop. Think about it. (laughs) Have it come out the way you want. Because the adverse on our side of it is if you're just blabbing through trying to come up with whatever's in your head, trying to edit that so it's seamless, (laughs) it's a nightmare. And you're going to clearly hear where it was edited. I think like you had said something in a previous episode about how you'll re-say the, like, Go back like five if or six stutter, words. Let's say, let, let, if I stutter on something, I, I've trained myself to to restart and to say it properly. Something that's helped me a lot, and it's via Zoom, and I hope that I bring it back to real life. It's the Fred Rogers technique of interviews, where and it's I watched that movie, not the like the documentary about him, not yeah, not the Tom the Tom Hanks, Hanks movie, yeah, not the Tom Hanks the the documentary version. And there's this thing where he would do, and he would just wait. He would ask a question. And then the person would speak and then he would wait just a little bit longer before asking the next question. And because of Zoom or because of doing it remotely like this, you're never sure if the person's actually finished or if it's lagging or if it's happening. So it's something that has worked to my benefit where I I just wait that extra second and then the person says something even more and it's always even a little bit deeper. And I think that's very interesting. I think it's awesome that you listen to podcasts to to train yourself. That's, That's something admirable and I wish that I I did that. I, I, it's something that I'm going to strive to to move towards to hone in on my craft of, of interviewing people. Do you listen back when you're done with these? Like, do you actually go back and listen to them as you're maybe editing? Like, I, I kind of have adopted more of like Dewey's philosophy of just like, just throw it up unless there's kind of like an obvious like connection issue or whatever. And then obviously try to shrink that down. So it sounds a little bit more natural, natural. Um, but I will listen to it as I'm kind of listening. Cause like now I'll do like audiograms to post on socials and so forth. Um, but then I'll even listen to the finished product just to make sure that maybe there wasn't something I missed or as I was listening to it going like, Oh fuck, I totally cut that person off. So like I've learned to, if I know, because I don't want something to go away. Cause I've, I've lost really good opportunities to ask a really, really great question in the moment but I have to cut off the guest to be like, Hey, Hey, hold on just a second. And then going like, and I've realized I have to go like, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Cause like that's half of it. I realized I wasn't apologizing and that sucked. But then I realized as a result of listening back to episodes where I do that, I'd also forget to bring it back so that the guest could finish their finish initial. Their, yeah. 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 Yep. So it's things like that. I think are what separates 
those of us who are hobbyists from those who want to be more professional, uh, learning how to advance yourself uh, in this and making it the best it can be. I definitely listen back to everything because I edit everything myself. And, and with the wide time between the interview to when I release it, and I typically edit about a week out prior to prior to release date, I guess that made sense. Uh, pri- I typically edit it <laughs> a week out prior to release date. There you go. I just did it for you. Um, <laughs> um, I get to relive these conversations and, and reflect upon how it went, but I edited it at 2.5 the speed. So everything's a little bit faster, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. And, and especially if, if it's with someone that I really connected with and, and, and some like a friend, I, it's happened to me where I've like interviewed a friend and I edited it like way later for some reason. And it's just we're, like, we're hanging out again. It makes me so happy, but to, to hone in and to, to, I realize that I have this habit that I try not to do anymore that when I am uncomfortable, I, I laugh. So I'll, I'll cut those out of the podcast episode but they will live forever on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, this is something I've enjoyed asking people who do podcasting. What is something in doing the podcast that you've learned about yourself that you weren't aware of before? I'm not as much of an introvert as I thought I was. Really? Yeah. Even doing, even doing the band thing, like you didn't come to that realization at any other no, point? No, no, because I was always, with Cryptopsy, and I, it was always a struggle accepting that I should have been there. Over the past few years, I'm finally comfortable being the singer of Cryptopsy. My, my first like album of them, 14 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but my first album was such a disaster, you know, and, and to, to get that a welcome, such a hideous welcome, really was hard on my ego. So so it took many years of rebuilding. Uh, but with the podcast, it, it's, and I might, something, this is a very strange thing that, that grew up in my house. Um, my mother speaks English and we live in Quebec. Uh, she doesn't speak French very often and she has trouble. She can speak French, but she's very timid when it comes to that. So when I was a young child, whenever we were to order pizza, because I went to French elementary school, she would make me call. And this is something to this day, I, I hate calling people on the phone and having to speak to them. So my wife does a lot of it for me to this day. So this is something that is tied into me believing that I'm introvert, but it's, it's this weird fucked up thing in my head that where I can sit down and have a conversation with you. I've never spoke to you before in my life and I'm completely comfortable, but to call someone on the phone, I don't know. It's something that has glitched into me from my childhood. See, what's weird is I I would feel like it would almost be the exact opposite of that because we grew up in the generation where we didn't have texting. You didn't have email. So like you had to have more one-on-one discourse with people. And I think that's actually what drew me in. The other thing that drew me into podcasting as a, as a medium was it harkens back to the thing. I mean, I can just talk about anything and everything, but like the connection, the one-on-one connection with conversating with somebody. Um, one of my original ideas, and I don't necessarily want to give it away, but whatever, copyright <laughs> it right here. Um, my original idea for a podcast was called What I Learned from a Podcast. That was going to be the show that was, and I still may do it eventually, but because I'm constantly learning things from hearing, you know, all these people from all walks of life talking about their experiences, things they've read, things they've done, shared experiences between the the person that they're interviewing and the host or whatever. Like, it's just a wealth of information um, that you can glean from strangers, essentially, and 
it's one of those where I'm constantly having starting conversations with like, so I was listening to this podcast the other day and this was brought up. <laughs> um, so really it was that, just a cheap the way. perfect way to start the episode too. Yeah. And that was the thing is like, I had someone that wanted to do one with me and then the goal was to do, bring like two to three topics that you had that thought was interesting throughout the course of that week of whatever you're listening to. Um, and then just discussing it more at length. Um, and it's one of those where, I think that's the other fun thing about when it's like movies or anything, like you start talking to people and you're just sharing and exchanging ideas. And I think that's something that we're largely missing still. And I think it's still why I love podcasting, like listening to, I mean, WTF and, and, you know, the nerd, not the nerdist anymore. Um, ID 10, like I love those two podcasts because like they talk to everybody from anywhere. And I may not give a fuck about some scientist dude that's on, you know, ID 10, but like they'll talk about something and I'm just like, Oh my God, that's really fucking cool. Or that's really interesting. Or I, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing or whatever. And I think that's the thing that's so fun about this medium when it works, when people are accepting of being open uh, to sharing their experiences and not hiding behind anything or trying to be cool and just being, um, I think what that's when this, this platform and this medium is just, absolutely amazing um and it's what keeps me coming back and gets me excited to find new shows although there's only so much time in a day and i and i feel so bad like almost every podcast i listen to now because i think i have like 25 or so that i listen to i'm at least probably 10 to 15 episodes behind on every single one because like they put out one or two a week and it's you know i'm not one of the like i guess i could listen to it at two times the speed but i feel like that's sort of lessening the quote unquote work that was put into it. Like I wouldn't listen to a record at two times speed just so I can listen to it all. Get through the content. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it just feels like it's cheapening the experience and the thing that those two, two, three, four, however many people went through to create this, this moment um, feels disingenuous to kind of take it in any other way than as they're presenting it to me. Absolutely. And it's interesting to do since we both deal with artists and we both get pitched a lot of artists from publicists, it's interesting to, you connect with certain people and they understand the form of a podcast versus a standard interview. You can always tell when artists get that versus it being just this, why is this taking so long? You can see it in their eyes. <laughs> Since this will be out well after the fact, um, I'm really excited for who I'm interviewing tomorrow because of that very reason. Um, it's Dennis DeYoung from Sticks, X Sticks no at this point. No way. But if you've ever heard him on any of the podcasts he's done, like he's been on Jericho's show. Uh, he was on a friend of mine from here. Uh, they did a show about, a, I think about a month ago. Um, Dennis is one of the few people, and I felt like an asshole sending this in the email where I was like, I use StreamYard. Is Dennis capable of using this or does he prefer legit like old school phoners? Like totally fine to do it. I just want to make sure like it's, he's comfortable with whatever we use. And he goes, Dennis is fine with StreamYard. It's fine. Like doing something like this. And to me, I was like, that's not normal though. Cause like a lot of the older uh, artists that like I've had on, it's like, it's a phone. You got to call yep. their landline. It's very, yep. this way is the way we do it. And Dennis on anything I've heard, he, he's fucking great. He's like all there. He, he gives good long answers. Like he is the quintessential guest you would want on a podcast. Um, I wish he would go longer than like the 30 minutes or so that the publicist is, is giving me, but I know damn well that like, it's going to be one I'll probably get to ask like two questions and he'll just handle all the yeah. bulk of all of it, the rest of the way. 
Um, but it's one of those where it's like, I can't wait to like for it to be done and like to call my parents and be like, I talked to the fucking singer sticks today. <laughs> 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 like, I don't think that the, like, and that's the thing. It's, uh, it's, it's not what people may expect me to have on the show, but to me, like what's more brutal than like left field turns. No, 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 no. And then, there's a lot of metal heads out there that listen to sticks. A lot of extreme <laughs> metal artists that wouldn't be where they were at if it weren't for sticks that inspired this, that inspired that, that became Cannibal Corpse. You know, it's it's. Well, it's I mean, definitely... speak of speak of like the ultimate like perception and reality is fucking George. And another, I asked two questions, and they had yeah. given me twenty minutes, and I went to thirty, and I was like. I got to cut this, you know, <laughs> and then we, I, we cut it. We stopped recording. He goes, Oh no, I canceled everything after you. We could keep going. I was like, fuck, I totally, totally just <laughs> wrapped everything up. It was okay. I'll get him again. I still need to get him. We were in the mix. Uh, Nikki was really fighting to get him on our show. And uh, I think he just was kind of pressed out at that point. Um, but I, I still got my, my questions that I don't really think anyone's really kind of hit him with that. I'm excited to, uh, it's like do it with it. It's not a no. It's just a no right now. I know that, that that I since he that resonated so hard with me because I was at a certain point as I mentioned on his where I don't care when people say no anymore. Next, let's move next. Yep. And it's not like a mean thing. It's not like I'm done with you. It's like <laughs> it's like I don't care. Like it's like it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Whatever. It's 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 not like a mean thing whatsoever. It's not in that aspect or that mindset. It's like we just don't fit. It's not going to fit. So let's move forward and I'll find someone that does fit and it's no disrespect or no hard feelings with anyone. So how do we put that? It's a no for now circle back in six months. Yeah. It amazing. I made so amazing that I made it the intro of my episode. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, speaking a little bit more inside baseball, I got to ask what is, and I guess maybe, I don't know if this is fun if you can't mention names, what is someone that you've asked for and they just flat out were like, nope? I've had a lot because of the the, the, the booze, of course. Because Ex of the beer. Same. Or I've had some where it was booked and it was totally going to happen. Huge bassist from a monumental band. And I, the day before, he realized that it was about beer and it totally got canceled. So, happens. I move forward <laughs> next. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> I got lots of interviews lined up. I'm not worried about that. Uh, but no, no, there's nothing, there's never been anything too horrible Give, given like the first hundred episodes were my friends. Right. So right. I'm just writing my friends. And once you get one friend, another friend wants to be on. So it was very easy because of Cryptopsy's uh, legacy to, and touring. I toured many, many years with many amazing people to get people on, on the podcast. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the interesting thing one of the more and i kept it in on both ends of the conversation just because a i felt proud of it but i also wanted to show like a little bit of humility on my side where i was like i was such a fucking egotistical prick in this like split second that i was like yeah i need to leave that in because like then you can hear me literally working uh to to rectify the situation but i had uh tommy victor from prong on and i mean if you've heard him on again just show like dude's fucking a great guest and he comes on and I'm like, I'm on my like lunch break at work in my car with like my laptop and all this like extra really? like, like shit. And people are just unbelievable. If people were to see like some of the places oh, yeah, I've yeah. been when I'm doing these interviews, just because <laughs> I, I want to get, get them like, it's kind of amusing, but 
he starts off and he was like, got to, you know, got to say I was a little bit nervous for this one. And we had just put out the episode with uh, Brian from corn. And so I was like, okay, like big guest and and no offense to Tommy or prong, but like, you know, corn is of their stature and, and prong is where they are. And so I was like, Oh, like, you know, kind of said something like, Oh, it doesn't, you know, why? Cause of like who we just had on or whatever. Like, and he was like, no, I don't drink. And I was like, Oh fuck. I look yeah, like yeah. a dick. Cause like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, cause we're so big and we pull yeah. in these people. And you're like, no. And then I, at that point, like, you know, I had done my due diligence and prepped and I was like, okay, like now I need to turn this dude around. Like I need to make him be fully engaged and really like glad he came on to do the show. And at the end of it, he was like, you know, I'm really glad I didn't turn this down and you asked really great questions and ending questions that I'm probably going to think about even after we're done with this. Cause they were just really good questions. Like you did a really good job. Like I'm, I'm really glad I did this, you know, so kudos to you. And I was like, fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those, like, I think sometimes that's the thing, like where, and I'm sure you're the same, like where I feel like I have to fight sometimes to prove that the show isn't a one trick pony. Like maybe the name would insist or, in, or make someone think it is like, you know, I had the opportunity to interview Shannon from Godsmack and I've wanted him on the show for so fucking long. Cause I wanted to talk to him about drumming on worship and tribute, the glass jaw record. And the publicist is like, Oh, well Shannon's sober now. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm fighting for this one. I was like, here's episodes I've done where I, all I talk about, excuse me, is, you know, this person's sobriety. And, you know, I, I, I'm fighting for this one. I get an email back like a day or two later and the publicist is like, Shannon, we'll do it. And then we like, we recorded an episode and like, he had to go like they, they kind of put a time limit on. I was like, man, we didn't like get to half of the shit I wanted to. I was like, if you want to come back like on soon so we can finish this up. Then my file got corrupted and all that shit. So like straight up the episode just gone. So thankfully I'd reached out to the publicist and was like, Hey, we still have like things we need to talk about to finish the episode. We got it set up for like a week or so later. I got Shannon on and I immediately go, Hey man, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Everything we talked about, the file got corrupted. I'm starting over. Like, do you have time to basically start over? If not, we'll pick back up where we left off. I can lead you into that, that part of the conversation. And I'll just have to explain like I, through no fault to anybody's like the opportunity that I had to talk to you. And the time I got to talk to you was just lost. And he goes, Nope, I got all the time. Let's go. He called me like 25 minutes before he was supposed to. And then we did like three hours on record wow. and then talked for another like 50 minutes after that. And was one of those, like we covered everything from his sobriety to the glass job record he worked on to Wrathchild America to his turtles that he has and like all this other <laughs> shit and everything in between. And then at the end, like when we were done, like wrapping up, like actually just chalk talking, he was like, man, like next time I'm around, like in any of the bands, like reach out, like we need to hang. And I was like, I was like, I mean, I don't know how we're going to do that. I don't have your number. And I mean, I can hand you my stuff to your publicist and pass it along, I guess. And he goes, take my number down. And then like, I was like, all right. And I've texted him very sporadically uh, since then. But, you know, he replies pretty quickly, all things considered. And it's one of those where I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe like, you know, Godsmack, Godsmack was like one of my <laughs> first shows I went to with my dad outside of corn. And so to me, it's just kind of crazy to be like, wow, a dude, I've been seeing like for a long time and a dude that like I've admired his career outside of, you know, this big mainstream rock act 
is somewhat on a on a friendship level and it's fucking weird all because i fought to get him on the show because the perception was hey, well, he's sober and he doesn't drink and it's like no i'm gonna get something out of it and i've even kind of gone the opposite route and i know this is something you've done too like with dewey with uh, dave shapiro with you know a handful of people you've had on that don't drink and have never drank really um where it's like it's it's not about it's not about this this, no, this is, is just this is just an icebreaker the, and and i think you and i are very much similar in the idea of like the whole point of the show is almost like when friends are drinking at a bar and just it's the fly on the wall kind of part of it um and so it could be at a coffee shop it could be anywhere but it it felt really good uh sometimes when you get some people that have said no and then you get them on and the conversation goes well and you actually kind of become friends with some of these people and you're like all right it's 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 a weird validation that I, I can't really explain to people if you've never really gone through it. And I you are probably one of the few that because of your name and because of the show, totally get where I'm coming from with it. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I rarely fight for it. I I did I, I did a whole sober February. Right. Where I booked everything with that in mind and I sought out artists that were sober. So so that aspect of it I understand. And I definitely wanted to do that, and I will do it again because it was very interesting, and I think it's very important to, um, you know, showcase a moderate and responsible relationship with alcohol. Absolutely. As much as I love drinking and I love talking about drinking and sharing drinks with people, I think it's important to to have a balanced relationship with drinking. So that's really why I did sober February and to connect with artists and to create a relationship and to create a a platform where I can look back at and say, oh, but I've done this. I can do episodes with people. It's not just about beer. Right. I also get a lot of people that are afraid because it's craft beer. <laughs> so, so, but I, oh, I'm not the biggest. It's like, it doesn't matter. We're just going to bring whatever you want. I assume you know, you're talking right? about Buzz who likes his like Miller lights and OEs. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had them yet. Tre Trevor, Trevor, Trevor does like his hazies though, but uh, I'll get Buzz eventually. I know he's fun. Hey, I asked him one day when he was skateboarding around at the uh, venue, uh, the intersection here, he was like on his skateboard during uh, all the remains set. And I was like, Hey man, like, I was like, I really need to get you like on the show. And he was like, Oh, you got one of them podcasty things. And I was like, yep, I got one of those. He goes, Oh man, I don't know. And I was like, you can drink beer, smoke weed or whatever. And he was like, I was like, sometimes we kind of talk about those things. He's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Those are weird. And I was like, some, some people just aren't into it. Some people don't like the, the medium. And but he's just okay. so, he's just so good. Like, I feel like <laughs> you just put a microphone in front of that dude and just let him go. And it's going to be gold for however long he talks. <laughs> like he's the best, like <laughs> fuck it. Get him on an episode and play Edward 40 hands. I'm sure like that would be great. You couldn't hold your microphone unless you I tape that say, to your other hand. Get, get, get someone to hold the mic for me on a hockey stick. <laughs> That's very, uh, Canadian yeah that's very Canadian what has been one of your your favorite guests that like okay I guess I'll preface it by saying this so when I started the show I had a what I called a, a one-year plan and then I had like a five-year goal of like people I wanted to have on where I was like within five years this is roughly the level I hope to be at where I can get x y and z are you are you there because you're at your five years now um I crushed most of my one year and five year goals before my first year was done. Like getting Andy from ETID in the first year, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I got some from ETID. Like, again, favorite band. Uh, the way it happened was pretty fucking organic. 
uh, I DM'd him because he was wrestling out this way back before everyone really knew he was big into wrestling as much as he has always been. And we just basically talked wrestling and sort of music by proximity of wrestling. And it was so fucking cool. Um, it was like, like that was a five year goal. Like where I was like, get someone from every time I die within like year five. And I got him probably less than halfway through the first year. Um, so getting some of these people, it's like, I've kind of far exceeded a lot, almost all my goals. One of the last goals I really have, which it was going to be, I'm approaching it, but I think due to the pandemic, I kind of lost about a year and a half to really make this a viable, realistic goal uh, was to get approved for an international festival uh, as press. Um, because at that point, that means you have to have either grown the show to be at a level where people internationally know of it or that your presence in an area is strong enough uh, numbers wise that you can back like why you deserve to be there. Um it's a weird acceptance thing that apparently I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can definitely do that. And I think the pandemic would have helped because we could talk to anyone and we, we, yeah. we definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause before it was always face to face. I would have never done this like this. No, it was, it, it was so, so no, no. Vox and hops was supposed to be backstage in a tour bus in a bar um, in a van that, that was Vox and hops and, and Vox and hops for myself really up until the pandemic, I didn't have a list. I was hanging out with my friends and drinking craft beer and asking them questions. That's really what Box and Hops was all about. So, so when the pandemic hit and I realized everyone was home, I was like, then I made a list. I have a COVID list that's still on my phone, and I think I've nailed most of those. There's a few, you know. There's obviously the, the huge megastars which I have not got yet, but hope to get one day, such as like Mike Patton. I'm circling him. I'm, I, I'm circling him. I've done people from three of his projects. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Spruance, that was a big one. Get, getting Trey Spruance was something that was really cool for me. I listened to Mr. Bungle. And, uh, God, what a know, fucking great band. Secret Chiefs 3. That was yeah. actually, speaking of records that I grew up on, Cal the California Mr. Bungle oh, yeah. record uh, got a lot of love. And that weird one, I can never remember what it's called, but with the it's weird disco, like clown. Disco Volante? No, no, it's to, is it? I think it's just a, a self-titled. Am I crazy? Yeah, I think so. And it's got that lenticular yeah. cover of the clown face yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disco Volante to... is the one in between there that's like super jazzy and fucked up. Okay. Yeah. California record got played a lot in my house as a as a kid. And I was like really? so lucky. I mean, Faith No More, <laughs> the the real thing. Uh Jesus Christ. What a, like I want to buy it so bad on vinyl, but I have this like hard time spending like 50 bucks roughly on a record where it's like okay that could buy me maybe two or three other records i like but to have you know god damn you want to talk about a band that just transcended for me like that was a band that kind of showcased that it was you could blend genres i mean like on the real thing like surprise you're dead what a fucking yeah. killer riff that yeah. like and then you have woodpecker from mars which is completely different uh, uh epic obviously being the big single uh, from out of nowhere like i mean just you talk about like a, a playlist kind of record like where it just hits on everything um and then even going back to like we care a lot and stuff like that like just what a fucking great band um i Count my lucky stars. I got to see Mikey Borden play with Corn. Um, many like on the issues tour uh, when David really? broke his wrist, and my dad and I like 
We're like, holy shit, that's fucking Mikey Borden. Like both being really fucking stoked on it. Um, I have a weird predilection to drummers. And I even made the comment to Dewey the other day because I talked to uh, Chris from Poison the Well uh, a couple of days ago. And I was like, for whatever reason, I just seem to hit it off really well with drummers. I don't know what it is. Like <laughs> drummers and I are like tight. Like I always have really good conversations with them. And I usually become really good friends with those guys. And I don't know why. Like maybe it's because I, I secretly wish I could be a good drummer. And I pay attention to a lot of drumming stuff on records, but, and maybe a lot of people just don't. So maybe it's just giving them the platform to kind of talk about uh, what they do when it's largely ignored. But yeah, Mikey Borden would be fucking cool to get on the podcast. I completely agree. That'd be amazing. I feel like you'll get him. I've been hunting for Patton. Uh, <laughs> Maynard from Tool. It's all these like basically the kids, the people that I listened to when I was young. Right? Would you really like this? Sounds weird. Do you really want to talk to Maynard? Because I feel like that's the kind of a dude who wouldn't take it seriously. Would kind of be very whatever, and would just make it difficult. And I feel like that would ruin my love of like Meredith Arms is like one of my favorite records yeah. of all times. I feel like if he was a dick to me or made fun of me and I, and whether I realized it in the time or not, I feel like <laughs> I would be like, man, fuck this dude. And like break all yeah, these I records and shit. That. I wouldn't want that, but it I seems was, like you know, he's I, that kind of when, person. When I set up to do Guar, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to interview them for real. Who did, who did you talk to from Guar? Uh, Balsack and the troll. Okay. See, I got to talk to Michael. And I asked the publicist, can I talk to him as him, not uh, Blothar? And he was like, no, they're always in character. And I was like, this is weird. (laughs) And I was like, it's so how the fuck do you prepare to talk to a character that doesn't care about anything? And so I did. I literally prepared two sets of questions and I showed up to the show the next day. And I was like, hey, I know your publicist said that I have to interview you as Blothar. I legitimately have like two and a half pages of questions for you as Michael. I'm good to go with whatever you want to do, but just know I would like to talk to you as the person. And he was like, let's do that then. But I think, I think it's because I, I did the work and I, he, he saw that like, I didn't waste my fucking time. Like, yeah, just, yeah. like whatever. So I think he, it kind of instilled a little bit of a uh, trust uh, to, to do an interview as himself. But I commend anyone who, <laughs> interviewed guar as guar because i feel like that's just it it's yeah, gotta be cool. so hard cool. i went through my what i wanted to ask them and they answered it as themselves but also with the attitude of the character it's just such a mind fuck dude <laughs> like i i have thought about going back and because guar tour is here quite a bit um and they just put out that like acoustic record or whatever mm-hmm. and i thought about reaching out and being like fuck it let's do it let's do it. let's do a guar interview and then i was just like nah i had like the one good experience of doing something with guar in a very serious capacity that like i kind of don't want to taint that mm-hmm. i don't know it's weird that's it's just such a weird band same with like a i really want to get john goblicon on yeah but like I know that's going to be one where it's just complete bullshit. Like where it's like, all right, this is going to be, I'm going to try to play a straight man and just set you up with like things so you can be (laughs) funny. And like, it's just a funny exchange between two different people or a goblin and a person. But that's one that I think would be fun, but I'm also in the same boat, like with the Guar thing where it's like, all right, like how seriously do you take this? (laughs) Talking to a goblin. (laughs) 
<laughs> How absurd. He's a hype. He's a, he's a, he's a crowd hyper. He is this, the guy uh, who used to skank for uh, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, the interpretive dancer. And the Prodigy. The Prodigy had one too, didn't they? God, I want to. I want that gig. I need. There needs to be a band that just needs an interpretive dancer, and I'll just dance shittily to it. It's probably sweating. It's a sweaty job. <laughs> let's talk about. Let's talk about collabs. Have you done a collab? I live for collabs. I'm so excited about collabs. I love making beers. Has there been a brutally speaking beer? Release? Not yet. Not yet. Um, I am in, and I'm actually looking up for those that are watching the video and like, why are you looking at your phone? Um, so. I I really want to do and actually City Built is a uh, cheap plug. They're the the uh, brewery I want to work with uh, just because they do and and here's kind of a the segue once I'm done talking about this that actually kind of is on a different project that I'm collaborating on uh, in the beer space. Um, so my thing is I want to do a beer, but I understand at least in, from my perspective of wanting to do something, I have nothing to offer the brewery. Like I don't have a name big enough to like, be like, Oh my God, you you're doing a beer. Like all, everyone's going to want to buy that because of that. It, that's not the case. Um, so what I want to do is I want to come up with a beer that I think is good. It's actually what I would want to drink and I'd want to try. And that's going to kind of be my contribution to the process. And yeah, we'll put like, you know, my logo, like, person thing on it or whatever and and you know i'll try to do as much as i can to push it but beyond that i want the beer to stand alone as something that will sell because at the end of the day that's what matters in that space is it has to sell um will it ever be a mainstay no i would love it to be something where it's like you know a lot of these other breweries do very limited series where it's like every year we do this thing whatever this thing is called and they do these collaborations so my idea um was to do um, a rum barrel coffee flavored beer because I've not really seen that. Um, but the rum barrel will allow it to kind of get a, that sweet flavor to kind of counter uh, to counter kind of the bitter flavor of the coffee. Um, and it's not something I've really seen done uh, that I can think of. And the other idea I had was doing a tequila barrel finished uh, drink. There or maybe even a gin. There is a gin drink that I've made uh, that a friend of mine gave me the recipe for, and I didn't have all the ingredients. So I kind of had to doctor it up with what I had. And my idea was since the, uh, the gin that I uh, made it with was local to here in town and actually is like a block and a half away from city built. My goal was to go, Hey, even more collaboration. Let's get them. Give us a gin barrel. We'll make something as close to this drink as I can possibly get in a beer form. And then that'll be that. Um, when I kind of approached that idea with Ed who owns city built, he was like, we're actually already working with them and we're doing something with their gin barrels. And I was like, ah, fuck. So I was onto a good idea, but yes. they're already doing it on their own. That idea actually came from founders doing, cause I like port wine. They did a port wine beer. That was fucking phenomenal. And I can't believe I'd never thought to have ever done something in a wine barrel or anything like that. Um, I mean, we see so much of it with uh, sherry casks and, you know, obviously whiskey barrels and so forth. So like, it seems like a no brainer that someone would have done it. But um, my goal is to kind of marry again, kind of marry like liquor and beer in some way. And if we can do it with someone that's local 
beyond just the brewery. Like that's something I'm really interested in uh, because again, I'm all about collaborating with as many people as possible to make something that didn't exist until the th- two or three of us got together. Um, I've even kind of worked up a name um, kind of getting ahead of it, but like uh, with them being called city built and us being called brutally speaking, uh, I think we was going to go with something like city brute um, kind of just a rough idea. So the, the foundation is there. The pandemic kind of threw a lot of things off as far as the schedule of when they were going to start doing their mainstays and, and all the other things that they keep making. Um, so it looks like we're probably looking at maybe next year uh, before we can do it, but it is definitely something I want to do. Um, I feel kind of blessed and also cursed in the fact that I live where founders is and bells is like an hour away and stuff like that, where I have these big breweries so I can kind of see what a lot of people are doing. But I also feel like it makes it harder because people are trying to compete for any little bit of space they can get. So maybe doing a collab with me doesn't make a whole lot of sense when they could do something that makes more sense for their own business. Um, So it's really just kind of figuring out where everything fits and how to do it. Cause you don't want to release a beer that makes no sense seasonally. Like if you're putting out a stout and you're trying to like, you're like, Oh, well we have availability in spring. And you're like, no one's drinking stouts in spring. Like typically always stout season. I mean, for me, yes, it is. (laughs) But I mean, if you know your beer seasons, you know that that's typically your, your fall and winter beers. Um, So it is something I want to do. It is something that I have put a lot of thought into, and have started the initial groundwork conversations to do uh, even the same. Uh, I'm trying to even get like a coffee made. Um, I not the biggest coffee drinker, but I find that to be interesting. And I feel like just kind of putting yourself into something else and kind of going like, this is, this is me in a different uh, capacity, I think is really interesting. So don't know what that's going to look like, but have some ideas uh, as well for that. Um Something I've actually been talking about a little bit more um, is a project that I started with a friend and we're kind of at a standstill for legality reasons. Um, So I actually have, this is kind of a fun story to tell on this podcast. So Run the Jewels did a series of beers called No Save Point. Uh, It was to commemorate their release of the song No Save Point that was in Cyberpunk 2077. And they released the song and the beer. They did a beer world tour. They had 13 breweries, 12 beers uh, across the world. Um, But it was right when the pandemic hit, like literally when the pandemic started and almost everybody was locking down. And so I had the idea since shows were gone, um, you know, you can't see people anymore because you're you're having to quarantine and be away from people. Um, that it was really interesting to me to to work with a friend of mine uh, to try to collect as many of the beers as I could. Um, the hard part becomes uh, getting around some of the legalities of uh, shipping beer across archaic, archaic, archaic laws. I hate them. They make me so upset. Prohibition laws. Yep. And what was kind of interesting in in doing this was learning the liquor laws internationally. So like um, I had a friend who lived in in one area um, and I was able to buy in like the Netherlands and then send him the beer. I was able to buy him another one and send it to him and then he'd send it to me. Um, And it was one of those things where it gave me something to do 
during a pandemic when all I really wanted to do was like be bummed that I can't go to shows. I can't see my friends. I can't, I can't do anything. Um, so it gave me kind of a purpose. Um, and I collected out of the 12, I think I have seven or eight. I wasn't able to get the one from Mexico. I wasn't able to get the one from Australia because they were in a lockdown and my friends in King parent weren't able to get me. Uh, I, cause I could have bought it, but I couldn't. Yeah. Long story. So that was that one. Uh, I didn't get the one from so Australia, Mexico, uh, Brooklyn sold out before I could get it. And there's one other one I'm blanking on where it was from. But the funny thing is I had the idea to do just get all the beers with my friend. And then we're like, uh, he made a video recently, uh, cause he's a big Fernet uh, fan and so he made a video around Christmas time of him with all this Fernet stuff, a bicycle making his Fernet tree and all this kind of stuff. And I, it looked really cool. And I was like, Hey, what if we did something like that? But like, we're, we're drinking the different beers and we're trying them and being like, Hey, so like, da, 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 whatever. Well, then it turned into this thing where city built uh, was one of the beer, the brewery selected to make one of the beers. They had made their own series inspired by run the jewel stuff. And they got hit with a cease and desist. And then that's actually really? how, they got onto the radar of them to do their own no save point uh, beer. Cause it basically everyone got the base of the beer and then mm -hmm. put their own spin on it. So I had the idea to then make a documentary, basically telling the story that during a pandemic, when no shows could happen, people aren't allowed to interact with friends, you know, just the, the sense of community is gone that run the jewels basically went on a beer world tour and combined the art space, the craft beer space and the music spaces all together in a very interesting and unique way that I've not seen. This is kind of the story of us collecting those beers and sharing the experience of trying these beers. And then I had the idea to reach out to all the breweries involved and go like, and ask them two questions. Like, how did you get in? Like, how did you get involved? And then how did you come up with, you know, your beer? So the first one that I got to do was Vandestreek. And after, you know, we're doing the, cause they're from the Netherlands. And so when we got done doing the interview, they're like, so have you had ours? And I was like, yours is one of the other ones they couldn't get. And they're like, we'll send you a case. And I thought they meant a case of like some of these and like some other other beers. It was just a straight up case of this. Um, so most of my fridge is filled with these uh, in addition to all the other run the jewels beers that I haven't had yet. Uh, cause we're waiting to do the thing. When I started reaching out back out to everybody to be involved, most everyone was like, sounds good. You got to talk to this person or this is the person you need to talk to. And everyone seemed to be on board. One brewery out of San Antonio, Weathered Souls, uh, was like, have you been in contact with the RT, excuse me, the RTJ camp? And I was like, not yet. The goal is to come to them after we put together like a sizzle reel, because what I don't want to do. And like a lot of people do is I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And you never fucking do it. So what I wanted to do is have there be something to tangibly show and go, we're starting this. Here's kind of what we're envisioning it to be like. Everyone else is kind of on board. We would like to have you on board and tell your side of the story. How did you pick the breweries? How did you pick to do a hazy IPA as your base beer? Um, so basically flipping the two questions around and then we would hand it off to um my friend's editor, because they had done a documentary on the history of pipe smoking, tobacco smoking. Um, so I knew that we had some resources that could make it look good. And then I hit a stalling point because when the San Antonio place was like, we're not going to do it until Run the Jewels is officially involved or not. Like, we're just not going to do it. 
Um, I had since learned about the documents that they signed, like the NDAs and so forth, um, surrounding how each company got picked and what they could, could or couldn't do, mainly couldn't uh, do. So like a big one was they can't, no brewery that was associated with it could uh, do a collaborative beer for a year after, uh, which I thought was really? interesting. Wow. So it was a thing where somebody but else then, goes. But then Weather, Weathered Souls launched Black is Beautiful where everyone's doing a collab with them. Yeah, but I think that's a charity thing and no one's really going to bitch about that. No, of course not. And I, and I heard some really interesting stuff because in my time in San Antonio, I went to a brewery and I tried their Black is Beautiful. And Mark, because he lives in San Antonio and is really big on crap beer and all that stuff, um, was like, so the place you went to, they did not disclose uh, the money they made off of that. They did not donate any of the money to charity like they were supposed to. And it's a big, big problem out here uh, for them in the, the crap beer community, which I find interesting that there's all these stories. Um, so fast forward, you know, I'm, I'm reaching back out to everyone to kind of get the, the project going again. And someone goes, Hey, does the RTJ camp know about this? And then I was like, before I could even reply back, Hey, I'm including the RTJ camp into this. And I was like, fuck, like too soon, too soon, too soon. Um, I get an email and the people I really, because of city Built's uh, experience of them getting hit with a cease and desist. I was like, they're probably going to hit me with them right away. Like just nope. And the whole goal all along was like, RTJ probably won't be involved in this, but maybe they'll be impressed with what we did that when they do the next round, they'll be like, hey, let's get ahead of this one. Let's have you do the same thing and be involved in this from this point forward. Um, they were like, what's the scope of what you're looking to do? Kind of tell us what you're looking at doing. And, you know, like what's your, um, what's your experience uh, in this capacity? And I was like, you know, I do a podcast, have done a podcast like for a handful of years, you know, here's the link to the podcast. So like interviewing people is something I know how to do. Um, my friend did a documentary. So like he has more experience doing that side of things. So collectively between the two of us, like we can make a, a good competent product um, that has a, a focused direction. And I sent it to them and they didn't reply back. Um, so I don't know if that's good or bad, but now we're in this like weird holding spot where it's like, do we keep going and just kind of DIY it and go fuck it until someone hits us with a cease and desist? Or and then you get that, and then you get that at the end of the movie. We we reached out to the yeah, <laughs> but they 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 just they, they they declined to be a part of this documentary. Yeah. So, but now it's it's a thing where I think everybody else because last round of me trying to hit everyone up to do the interviews almost everybody's just kind of like at a stagnant still standstill right now where I'm just like, I think until I either get the blessing or denial from the RTJ camp, that's really going to depend on how this project either gets delivered, just dies on the vine basically. But um, that was going to, that's been something I've really been looking forward to doing because like I said, it, it merges three different communities that I, I feel very passionately about between, you know, craft beer, the, the craft space, music, and, you know, just the sense of community uh, and collecting. Uh, and I mean, to a degree, even video games, uh, since it started from a video game. Um, but it's probably one of the most ambitious projects I've ever tried to do. And like when I kind of told some friends about it, they were like, how do you even know how to do any of that? I was like, just like the podcast, I don't know, but I'm not going to let my limitations on knowing what to do stop me from having the drive or desire to want to create something that I think and know in my heart of hearts is going to be something that people will find interesting. It's a killer idea. It's, and I hope that it comes to fruition. 
I do too. I hope, I hope <laughs> that at least you, you finish it, even if it's just a, a do-it-yourself, just self-released project. Because I, I, the, the idea behind it is really cool. And you have you have those interviews recorded. So, so you can definitely create something from what you have. And you've been working on it for a while. So so hopefully the, the, the band is interested and wants to do it. You know, good publicity is good publicity. And they're a cool band. I'm sure they'll come back. Hopefully. So that's a kind of my collaborative uh, nature in this space of, uh, of beer and liquor and all that kind of stuff. But I feel it, it's been weird because I've talked about it on other podcasts on my show and I always cut it out because I'm like, I don't want anyone to know about it. And now I'm just kind of like at the point where I, I want people to know it about it because I think at the end of the day, what I really hope it does is, like I said, I've never done a documentary. I've never even shot, fucking shot a film or anything. But I love I love documentaries. I love the medium, and just like I do podcasting. And I started doing this without knowing anything about anything. I don't know shit about audio. I don't know anything. But I didn't let that stop me. And I hope that if I at least maybe tell the story of like I had this idea, it just kept snowballing, and then now here I am, and the fucking Run the Jewels camp is at least aware of what I'm doing. They may shut it down, but like think about that stupid idea I had. Four months later, three months later, Run the Jewels officially is involved in some capacity with what an idea I had. It just goes to show that like you can make anything happen if you are willing to put in the work and just not afraid to chase whimsies, basically. Which is something I always pull from Kevin Smith. You know, create your own fucking thing. <laughs> it's true. You have to fake it. You have to. You have to believe in yourself to make things happen. And anyone that's listening, that's the absolute truth. If you, if you doubt yourself and you don't even try you'll definitely not do anything, you know? I would have never become an internationally renowned rock musician, a death metal vocalist that tours the world and a podcaster if I had just settled on, I don't know how to do this. I have a question for you in the space of death metal because like, it's not something I, I'm not the biggest fan of and in, in doing my other co-host podcast discography discussion, like, all this year, I feel like all he's been throwing at me is like death metal shit. Like <laughs> where I'm like, I feel like the only new thing that I can notice about this is like, there's tinges of like symphonic black metal kind of thrown in there. But like, I don't really know much about that either. So I fuck, I don't know. But something I've always thought to be kind of interesting and especially from the vocalist perspective, you know, you have some of these bands and, you know, like, um, I think like we did one on Cannibal Corpse and or not Cannibal Corpse, I'm sorry, Cattle Decapitation. And it was wild because like I was really not a fan of that band's early stuff. Uh, as they have gone on, I do see the growth and maturity in the band uh, within the genre and so forth. But like the thing that's crazy, too, is like when you read the lyrics and you see some of these lyrics and they're they're really like thought provoking. But unfortunately, I feel like given how they have to be presented, uh, does them no favors is it hard to write lyrics that mean something to you but given how you have to present them based on the band that you're in knowing that largely people are probably not even going to know that you're literally saying anything that you're saying um, I find concepts I, I really enjoy concept records for that exact reason uh, I've been doing that since 2012, since they're self-titled. So I, I find a concept that I want to explore. And then I am more of like a storyteller. So I find real life things that have happened, horrible atrocities. atrocities, And, and then I just basically storytell what happened. 
And I try to be as poetic, poetic as I can be, but I'm definitely, you know, like my predecessor, the original vocalist of Cryptopsy, Lord Worm, was a masterful extreme metal lyricist, just, just dark, poetic humor, very obscure, strange, and, and that really set the bar for Cryptopsy lyrics. Uh, Mike DeSalvo came in at a different um, way of approaching lyrics. He's a bit more straightforward, but still very intelligently presented. So, so I had a lot to work with. I, I could either go one way or the other, and I really went just in my own voice. I, I try to be descriptive and obscure, uh, dark, uh, gory. Uh, having played None So Vile in its entirety really helped me uh, construct my lyrics as I really got to understand Lord Worm's thought process a little bit better when it came to constructing lyrics. I'm definitely nowhere near him. He's got this weird, strange approach to writing. Uh, you know, I'm definitely not a writer. I'm not someone that writes actively and says, this is a song. And Lord Worm was like that. He had like a book of lyrics, poems. I'm not like that. I'll attack a song and I'll write lyrics for that song. But I know what my concepts are about. And that's the biggest, biggest struggle to find something to write about. Something that can fall into what Cryptopsy needs to be and something that I'm comfortable to explain. Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a genre that <laughs> the few bands like really in the extreme metal, um, like the last Dying Fetus record was like the first time I really walked away being like, yeah, I get it. Like, but it's one of those for me, like, and my point of contention always like on discography discussion is I'm like, you know, I, I know. And actually I think Dewey and I have been talking about this cause he's like, well, do you like, you know, he's, he's into punk music and stuff like that. And I'm typically not. And even going back to like your first question of like, what did you grow up listening to? I think the problem I have is like, I'm a big pop sensibility kind of guy with good production and that's been something and i like i told dewey i was like dude all my metal that i grew up on super fucking slick really well mm -hmm. produced like so even though like you know i know there were underground bands uh, at that time you know like the florida death metal scene was kind of coming and so forth it's like it's hard for me to listen to some of this stuff and be like is it like i feel like it's almost a badge of honor of being like it's the shittiest recording we could possibly afford like they did they just said they didn't understand how to capture the sound is really what it was for sure and i feel like you know the one example i've ever seen of that was seeing Meshuga on the tool uh lateralis tour yeah, uh, which i, I think tour. they would have been on was it chaos fear? It would have been. It was chaos. Fear. Was it? Okay. Um, but I remember seeing them and I was like, God, this band sucks. They I didn't sound understand like, them. I was like, they sound like shit. <laughs> the dude's riding some weird invisible roller coaster. And like, it just sounds like garbage. Now I have since found, fell in love with that band. I've seen them a couple of times since then. And the exact opposite is the case. And I realized that at that point in time, Eight string guitars really didn't exist. No one knew how to fucking mix them, let alone in a fucking arena. Um, and it's just, it took technology to catch up with them and what they had to be able to present it in a way that made sense as a listener, I think. And that's the hard part is at least I feel like a band like Meshuggah has grown sonically. And I like my metal, my symphonic death metal and all that kind of shit. Like, you know, 
as much as everyone hates Demi Moore gear, I fucking love that band because they sound good. It's it's mixed well. Like you can pick apart everything and you understand why things are there. When I go back and listen to some of the old death metal shit, I'm just like, it just sounds like blast beats. And then like, who can like play the fastest fucking up and down the scale riff and, uh, you know, and as a vocalist, I feel like all you can kind of do when everything is just percussive is be also equally a percussive instrument. And it's just like, it just sounds like a wall of noise. And that's been my beautiful, beautiful wall of noise (laughs) (laughs) to to some. Yes. Um, For me, it's one of those, like I, it's, it was, it's really never been my thing. Um, But thankfully doing discography discussion, like I had told my co-host, I was like, dude, it would be so easy for me just to shit on it and be like, I don't fucking like it. I've never liked it. It sucks. I don't like it. It's, I th- but I have to realize this is someone's favorite band. This is someone's favorite record. This is a genre that they really love and it means a lot to them. And the camaraderie they have when going to shows with people who love this music too. I can't discredit that just because I don't like it or I don't understand it. So then I came into it going, I need to at least try to find something positive to talk about and at least be like, it's not my thing, but this was kind of cool. Or I at least noticed that this was happening over the last couple of records. And it's funny because like with that approach where I really thought a lot of people were going to shit on me, a lot of people were like, Hey, at least you're trying and you didn't discredit us. <laughs> and like, I've, I've even had that same approach. Like when having the, like, bands, pe- the bands, write you, uh, some actually funny thing is like, uh, like we did an episode of living sacrifice and I know it's not like super extreme or anything, but, um, band I'd never listened to. And I guess someone in the band or the band themselves like checked it out and they were like, had made a comment about how like they liked the comments I said as, as a not long time fan of the band about the growth and all that kind of stuff of the band. So it is kind of weird. Cause sometimes like you don't assume people are going to hear this thing. Like um, adversely I, we did an episode and it, uh, it ended up costing me a friendship because someone heard me talking about a band they're in and I was like 95% positive the whole way through. I think at the end, I was just like, it, it is like this band's discography is it's fine. Like some of it is wrapped up in nostalgia for me. The rest of it is like, you know, I, I kind of hopped off on this record and they're not bad. It's, it's the band growing uh, and being the band, you know, 10, 15 years after they've been a band. um, It's just not really my thing. Like my musical tastes have changed and this isn't really what I'm into. And I had, literally been texting and i did a a thing with them on instagram uh live like a day before we dropped that episode everything was fine we're all good and then after the episode dropped i get a text back like the next day it was like don't ever fucking contact me again and then i got unfollowed on everything and i was like really damn all right so the adverse the adverse of uh you know i made the comment you can make really great friends doing this (laughs) uh you can also I, i guess put your foot in your mouth and uh it can uh, cost you some friendships too that you've made if it's your opinion though and i think that's the hard thing um dewey kind of gave me a little bit of shit because he was like that's why like doing a show like that where you're you're critiquing basically uh artists creative outputs it's hard because especially if you're friends with them like they and i guess that's like where i'm different like i can separate a person from a band i may not like your band but i like you and I do that all the time. Like there are a lot of bands that I'm friends with people in the band. I don't fucking like their band, but to me, that doesn't matter. Like, it's like, how many friends do you have personally that don't listen to your show? 
all of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? That never bothers me. Like, I'm like, I, like I get it. Like, it's fine. You don't have to like the thing I do, but like you're, you're supportive of it in some same capacity. Thing, same thing. I got used to that with Cryptopsy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, to me, like I figured this person probably would be the same way, but um, it was definitely not the case. And like, I've thought about reaching out and just being like, look, like, I'm sorry if like something I said, or like even guilty by association of like the things, the two other people that I was with said upset you, but like, I don't have to like the, like you don't have to like my fucking show and you can still like me. Like every, the example, everything that we have done is two people that know each other. Um, I've always been supportive of your other creative endeavors. I always like put you on, like I helped you do some other stuff, which actually just came to fruition. Like yesterday I saw, and I was like, and I saw that they were really excited about that thing that happened. And I was like, yeah, that happened because of me. Cause like, I believe in you and I like you as a person. So I championed you to these other people. And now like there's a new relationship that was formed out of that. And it really sucks. Cause like, I feel really bad. Cause like, I don't feel like I deserved the harsh reaction to something that I feel was very not justified to have that kind of a reaction. But in the last week or so since it's happened, I do kind of realize, like, I guess if I put my life's work into something and I was a big fan of this thing, too, it probably would be a little hard to hear someone that I, I am really good friends with and really value their opinion or whatever to kind of shit on it. I would probably be a little bummed, but I feel like I at least would go, hey, man, I heard you say these things and that kind of really bummed me out. Like, can we can we talk about that or like, you know, something like that? Like, I feel like that's at least where I would go versus just kind of straight up being like, don't ever fucking contact me again. It's like, Damn. Yeah. yeah. No, we need some maturity in life. And, and as an artist, you need to be mature. Not everyone's going to like what you do. And you can be friends with people that don't like what you do. And that's. Well, I think that's even where like interesting shit happens in this space uh-huh. of like where you don't agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the sparks fly. <laughs> John, let's wrap this up. One last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you still have a fridge full of beer, but every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? <laughs> um, actually, I, my, I would have said water is my hangover cure or greasy McDonald's food. McDonald's Coke, actually. Um, more recently though, um, this may not be legal wherever anyone else lives, but, uh, smoking weed, uh, typically if I smoke after night at the bar, um, and drink like a glass of water or whatever, but if I smoke right before I go to bed, that seems to pretty much eliminate any hangover. John, thank you so much for taking time talking about me, talking to me about uh, podcasting, <laughs> <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about uh, your life, about being a podcaster, about craft beer. I I truly appreciated it. It's been a true blast. Um, Massive cheers to you and long life to Brutally Speaking Podcast. Thank you. And I'm sorry I talked uh, so much. No, no, you're wonderful. Cheers. So that was my conversation with Matt, again, of the Vox and Hops podcast. I want to thank him for having me on. And uh, it was 
it's kind of fun. I, I like doing and being the guest on another podcast because uh, part of me gets a little nervous because I don't know where the conversation's going. But I think it's good sometimes to be on the other side of things when you're not always leading something. And, you know, as I kind of had made the comment of that, I listen back to the episodes I do. I listen to other podcasts like I'm studying film, like if I were in sports, like an athlete trying to get better. And the thing that I really love about being on the other side of things is having to really be in the moment with someone because I'm not thinking of the next question or I'm not really kind of going from there. I have to just kind of let things happen to me and then react. So it was really cool kind of getting to to be on that side of things and kind of see uh, how Matt does. And, and something I really took away when listening back actually to this was I love how Matt you know, had made the comment about the Fred Rogers uh, way of interviewing where you let someone talk and then you wait five, 10 seconds. And then sometimes they'll give you more and something that they say after you thought they were done. And even they thought they were done is actually really special. Um, and so I think that might be something I try to adopt moving forward. I have a couple interviews this week as of when I'm recording this. So potentially that might be something I try to incorporate into my repertoire of c- talking to people. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, again, I want to thank Matt for uh, having me on. Um, you're basically, other than the intros and outros, you're basically getting the exact same podcast. So if you uh, like what you heard, then by all means, please go support Vox and Hops. I think what they are doing in this scene, in the podcasting space, as well as the craft beer scene, cannot be understated enough. Uh, I think this is, whereas I just like talking about what I'm drinking, Matt is actually boots to the ground. He's making beers literally happening. I'm literally holding a beer that essentially, because of his love of beer and, and metal and so forth, he has made come to fruition, no pun intended. Um and it's one of those things that it's just fucking inspiring to see someone who's not just satiated being like, I'm going to do a good podcast. Boom. I got that. Now I'm going to make beer. Boom. I did that. I mean, the dude also does playlists uh, that you can get on Spotify. As you heard him say, like, it's just incredible the amount of things that he does to support a genre that he loves so much. And it just oozes out of him. Like you can just tell he loves and breeds this. Um, so greatly appreciated to be on his show. Um, I don't know if I'm metal enough to be on that show, but if you would like to keep up with all things, Vox and Hops, I would strongly urge you to go over to the website, voxandhops.com. That is literally the landing page for everything. You can go to the Spotify playlist. You can see the many documentaries they did for the Brutal North America collab series. Uh, you can see you know, YouTube links, Facebook links, Instagram links. He's not on Twitter that I saw. Um, and you can also keep up with everything he's doing with Cryptopsy as well. I mean, he happens to also be in a band too, so again, overachiever much. <laughs> but it's one of those things, uh, just love what he's doing, and, and I think a lot of you if you like this show will really like what he's doing over there so please go support him as well um all the things i just said about the vox and hops website definitely applies to this uh it's our landing page for a reason everything you need to know about our show is over there uh greatly appreciate it if you go check it out share the shows rate review send us an email brutally speaking at gmail.com uh give us some feedback we posted the episode with marcos from pod and getting a lot of feedback of people remembering you know where they were when they bought that record in conjunction to 9-11 you know just a lot of interesting things and that's what makes these shows a lot more fun is when you engage with me on socials and so forth and kind of keep the conversation going from the podcast. Like that's, that's why I love podcasts and I love talking to people about ideas that were shared between the guest and the host or whomever. Uh, I think that's how you just have more fun with this. So, uh, love all the feedback, love any interactions I get. Uh, please 
rate, review, subscribe. You know why that's important. And last but not least is our sponsors. Want to run them down real quick again? Bean Bastard. Go to thebeanbastard.com. Pick up some delicious coffee. If you live in the Buffalo, New York area, look up their brick-and-mortar store. Go support a local business. Uh, on Point Palmade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and take 15% off your total purchase order. And last but not least is Rockabilia. Go to rockabilia.com. They have over 500,000 items in their online store. Get you laced up with some awesome, awesome threads of all kinds of different bands. I guarantee if you're into something music-related or TV-related, I'm sure they have something for you. Use our code BREW and take 10% off your total purchase order. And you know we've been inching our way to episode 300. Next week, we finally get there. No more teasing. We're getting right to it. Episode 300. I'll see you then.